get up by it. I told her she gotta come try it. They wondering what I've been doing. I told them I'm keeping it quiet. I pull up, you know I be moving. Whipping the four and I'm cruising. The money I'm speaking is fluent. All of my business booming. Stacking my cash in abundance. All of my family funding. Finally got what I wanted. Life is amazing. I love it. Everyone know that I'm running. Yeah. Yo, welcome back. Episode 10. How did I get here? Hit double digits. You know, we're, we're growing up a little bit. Pretty soon we'll be able to drive or something. I don't even know. Episode 16. That's what we'll do. Episode 16 will be about driving. How to drive. No, just kidding. Um, you just have me today. Just me and my morning voice. This is Nathan. I uh, hope you enjoy listening to my morning voice because it's what you get. And you're going to like it. Alright? You hear me? You're going to like this. Okay. Anyways. So today... I have a couple topics we're going to talk about, and they're both things that I care a lot about. Um, one, most people already know about it if they follow me on social media because I post all of this person's projects. And two, is something I don't really talk about on the internet a lot, but if you are a family or friend of mine, if you are a family, if you're a family member or a friend of mine, you hear all about this all the time and you're probably tired of hearing about it all the time, but if you listen to this episode, you're going to hear about it for uh, 30 to 45 minutes. Sorry, not sorry. Um, and that is, I'm going to kind of deep dive into how I invest in the stock market. It's just, it's something I care a lot about, uh, not because it's like a source of income, which it is, but to me, it's a lot of fun and it's a way of in the future creating financial freedom for myself through my actions today, which obviously as if you've heard, listened to the podcast before, you know, I care a lot about of, you know, I haven't said this saying before, but making like every decision you make, make sure it. You know, future you in 10, 20, 30 years will approve of it as well. You know, I think that's kind of how you go through life without having too many things that you regret that you did. But so, yeah, I'm going to talk about investing in the stock market, kind of how I got started, um, what motivated me to do it, what I look for when I invest in my stocks. I can, I mean, I might even give you a couple that I have invested in and why I did it and how it turned out for me. And I'll definitely tell you some places I failed too, because if you're going to do this, you're going to fail. Um, it's not intended really to be um, a tutorial of sorts. It's more of just me just talking about what I did. If you are interested in, in doing it because of listening to it or you've already been interested and you listen to it anyways, I think you'll get some insight for sure, but I would not uh, base your investing strategy solely off what I said on the internet because I've only been doing this for, what, five years now maybe? But I'd be happy to talk to you about it because I enjoy talking about it anyways. And I'd also, I mean, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction to find resources for you if you're really interested in it. And the second segment today is going to be what I'm going to, you know, patent trademark pending, what I'm kind of coining as a discography deep dive. What that means is I plan on having a recurring segment. I don't know how recurring it'll be, you know, maybe once a month, once every couple months, where I break down an artist that I maybe listen to or someone may request that I've research on I'll take an entire artist discography from beginning to end before they may even have been releasing studio albums like today is what I'm talking about um, and go from beginning to end and it kind of it's not me sitting here to critique them obviously because I'm one I'm not a music critic I'm not a critic of any kind I hate critiquing art because I mean at the end of the day art's subjective music paintings whatever except for modern art modern art's stupid you put a piece of banana on a white you know, poster and you call it art, whatever. Sidetrack. Either way. Yeah, I'm not here to critique art because obviously 
if a person has hundreds of thousands, if not millions of fans, and they're on the radio or they're mainstream in whatever genre, their art is good in someone's eyes. And it's not my place to sit here and say something's bad. However, I'm going to give my opinion and what I think and such. And I'm also, every person that I talk about on this seg- these segments is going to be somebody that I've listened to pretty much every song they've ever released. And, or I'll do my research and go through and listen to every song they've ever released. And kind of break down their evolution from their beginning to where they are now or the end of their career if their career's over. Like the person I'm talking about today. Today, I'm going to end up talking about, and if you know me, this is why I said you'll see it on my stories all the time. Because for the past, uh, however long stories have been around, and then longer, uh, Logic has been one of my favorite music artists in the world. And he's retired now. Shout out Bobby. So yeah, we're going to do a deep dive on his entire discography. I'm going to kind of give my opinions and thoughts. What it meant to me, especially, because... That's why I wanted to do him first, because I can give insights of what his music meant to me at the time when it came out. Because it, I mean, the reason I became such a huge fan is because it helped me so much develop as a person and make it through, like, terrible days, be happy on good days. So, yeah, talk about that. Before we get started with the meat of the podcast, I want to talk about what happened recently with the growth of the podcast, and it honestly, it, it blows my mind. It really does. Um... I've been, I keep up with the analytics pretty loosely, you know, I'm not too caught up in the analytics, how many people are listening, but what blew my mind is when I'm looking at analytics, there's people in almost a dozen countries now across the world listening to this, and it just, it, it, it's pretty unbelievable for me, especially this early on into it, and I'm going to keep making these just because I really enjoy it, that was my goal to start, is just have fun and enjoy myself, but I've noticed that some people really, it helps them a lot with whatever we're talking about. I had several, several people reach out to me after last week talking about schoolwork, and um, yeah, it just, it's humbling. Um, it's crazy to think that I can speak into this microphone and somebody in, shout out, like Thailand or Bolivia or Mexico or Puerto Rico, and it's just, it's crazy to me. It, it, the internet's a beautiful thing and a terrible thing at the same time, but a beautiful thing sometimes. So yeah, shout out to you people. It's incredible. Also, I usually put this at the end of the episode, but I want to put this at the beginning just in case, you know, you skip when I say, okay, we're done, and then you just turn it off and you don't hear what I say at the end. The show has a fee, so if you've been watching this for free, you owe me some back pay, because the fee is, if you get any bit of enjoyment out of this, just a little giggle, or if you learn something, like today I'm going to talk about stocks, if you learn something you never knew about it, the only thing you have to do is not give me a dollar, it is to share it with just one person. Just one. You just gotta share it with them. You know, your best friend who you think could enjoy it. Or just some random person on the street, you just show up to them and hey, you should listen to this. If you really, really enjoy it, post it on your story and tag me because I'll, I'll repost you. You know, I'll give you a shout out with all like zero of my followers. But yeah, I would really appreciate it. And if you're on a listening platform that allows you to follow, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do. And Apple Podcasts, I believe, yeah, Apple Podcasts allows you, if you scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page, you can click little five stars. Or, if it's if you don't think it's five stars, and you generally don't think it is, aside from the audio quality, we're working on that. But other than audio quality, if you don't think it's five stars, please leave me a little review. I would love constructive criticism. Don't just tell me I'm trash and ugly and you suck. Although I know all these things are true, I don't need you to tell me them. But yeah, that's it for the intro of the podcast. Now, I'm going to start by talking about how I got started investing in stocks. And um, yeah, let's do it.
So how I got started investing in stocks is, it's a long story. Well, long for me, okay? I've only been around here 21 years, all right? So you people who are 50 listening to this, which is also crazy, people that old are listening to this, I know it's not that long, but it's a long story. I honestly don't, I was thinking leading up to recording this, what actually initially got me interested in the stock market and what it exposed it to me. I really don't know, thinking back on it, yeah, I think it may have been car YouTubers that I was watching at the time talking about it. I vaguely remember them speaking on it, but I don't know if that was my initial exposure. Either way, somewhere there, I got exposed to it because the stock market was something that I hardly even knew existed growing up. Nobody in my family invested in it. I mean, I never even heard what a 401k was before I was like 16, I don't think. I could be wrong. Sorry, Mom. But either way, so my initial interest, not sure where it came from, but before I sat there and took a million dollars and threw it in the stock market, because I don't have a million dollars anyways, you get the point. Before I took money and threw it in the stock market, I did a lot of research, which I highly, highly, highly encourage you to do if you plan on investing yourself. You can always go to a brokerage and get them to invest it for you, but just know they're going to take a cut. So, and I kind of, it's enjoyable to invest it yourself and make a profit. But before I did, I did a bunch of research. I understand like, so if you go onto any sort of stock app and you go through and there's going to be all sorts of numbers underneath, there are going to be charts, plotting prices. Before you understand what you're looking at, it's probably very confusing. It, it, it is very confusing. It makes no sense. I mean, what is a beta? What is a theta? What is a delta? What's a gamma? Like, what are all these things? What do they mean? Truthfully, some of them are not less important than others, but you go through and you learn all of these things. And like I said, this is not a tutorial, so um, I'll spare you some of the details on the more complicated stuff. Well, but you learn what all these things mean. You kind of learn trends. You learn what to look for. But I highly, highly recommend once you do this, don't start investing yet. Um, this is what I did, and I think it was... At the time, I had, I, I did it because I had no money to invest because I was just a high school student who, I mean, I think I ordered Chick-fil-A at the time making seven twenty-five, and it was awful. Shout out Chick-fil-A. You suck. But the reason I did this because I had no money is go. So I've downloaded it's what's known as paper trading. I downloaded an app that invest. I'm sorry, simulated the stock market. So essentially... You download the app and it gives you a fictional $100,000 to invest. And it uses the actual stock prices that are going on in the market currently. In hindsight, it was one of the best decisions I ever made before. It, like Anytime with my dealings in the stock market, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Because it allowed me to sit there and practice those fundamentals that I had learned and picked up from the internet, right? And not have to actually risk my own money because just... You know, you kind of need to accept at some point you're probably going to lose money. Like, it's just, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And there's ways you can strategize to minimize the amount of money you lose, of course. But you're probably going to lose money at some point, and you just got to accept that. So this allows you to lose that initial money that you would lose if you actually invested real money, but it's fake. And so you can learn from those mistakes. You can hit reset on the game. It gives you a fresh $100,000, and you go. Um, by... I think I did that for about a year, year and a half, and I was able to turn 30%, 40% a year, which for context, that's pretty nuts because I was doing more long-term trades, so I wasn't sitting here doing day trading or swing trading. I was just trying to play long-term developments, 
and I invested in things like it's funny because the things I invested in while I was doing my simulator, I actually haven't invested in in real life. I probably should look back on this, especially one of them. Um, I invested in, I think my two biggest in my portfolio at the time were Coca-Cola and Tesla. This is Tesla back when they were like less than $200 a share. And can you imagine now if I had actually done this with Tesla? Like I had bought like three, $4,000 in Tesla back then. I'd have, oh geez, $28,000 in Tesla. But hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I was able to turn 30, 40% a year. And this is, I think the main growth my portfolio came from Tesla. I think it jumped from 200 to 300 for a while back then. But 30, 40% is pretty nuts. I mean, I think if you are investing with long-term strategies and you make, I'd say 15% a year, you're doing very well for yourself. Very, very well for yourself. Um... The reason why, and you might think 15%, that's nothing, but like, imagine this, what else, what else are you going to do with your money that's as safe as long-term stock market investing that's going to make you 15%? I mean, your savings account, at most, maybe 1.5% a year, most people say half percent, we'll say 1% to be generous, very generous, and I'd say the estimated rate of inflation is anywhere from 2 to 4% a year Um, for people who... That sounds like gibberish to them. With inflation, something that costs $1 this year, if inflation is 3%, something that costs $1 this year is going to cost roughly $1.03 next year. Obviously, in reality, prices don't adjust quite like that. But over the time, you'll see it correct to about 3% a year. Is these are, Honestly, these are numbers off the top of my head, but I believe that's fairly correct. So if you're... And if money is in a savings account and it's only making 1% a year, you're actually losing money because what inflation does is that it makes your money that you have worth less value. Because so $100 today is not going to be worth the same amount as $100 from 30 years ago or 30 years from now. Ever think about like, look at gas prices 40, 50 years ago and they were 25 cents. And go to the gas station right now and you're hard pressed to find it. Well, before COVID, you were hard-pressed to find it for under $2. Or back in 2009, 10, 8, you were hard-pressed to find it for under $4. So that's why the power of investing in something that you can make, you know, 10% at least. I mean, 10% you're doing great, especially compared to a savings account. You know, investing in something like that can be a really powerful tool for you to negate inflation because most people who aren't as, I guess, I don't want to say financially literate because that's, I think, not fair to them. But most people who just put their money in a savings account and assume that's like the best thing they can do with it don't realize that putting your money in a savings account loses you money. You know, you're losing out on all of that because due to inflation and just due to, it's like opportunity cost you're, you're, you're missing out on. I think I probably used that wrong. But you're, you're losing out on the potential gain of having your money invested in a company in the stock market. So, what is a stock, right? This is for people who have no idea what I'm talking about up to this point. What's a stock in the stock market? Essentially, and, and again, this is not a tutorial. This is not meant to be super, super educational. You're buying a piece of ownership in a company. So, I like to joke around with people and Apple something. I, I'm one of my big investments in my portfolio. And... Uh, I like to joke around with them and just be like, yeah, I'm a partial owner at Apple or 
whatever and it's the truth you, you are a partial owner in whatever company stock you buy but more than likely you are a very very small portion unless I mean, unless you got it like that unless you have millions just throw around and even then if you have millions throw around you're nothing for apple apple's worth 1.8 billion or 1.8 trillion right now so that's 1800,000 1.8 thousand million nuts but you are buying ownership in a company and usually you are buying it with the anticipation that that company's worth it's going to be worth more in the future whether it be the near future or 30 40 years from now different types of traders right so why is this a good thing um this is a good thing and how this happens is essentially companies want to raise capital raise money capital means money they want to raise capital and funds to grow their company so you may have a private business owner who and who decides to go public go public means they decide to incorporate meaning they decide to basically in layman's terms they kind of publish their company on the stock market to where other people can buy shares of them the first day that these shares are available is called the initial public offering kind of makes sense think about what the name says the initial public offering the initial time the sale of the stock is open to the public okay so what these people do before they do their ipo initial public offering they they own will assume 100 percent of the company and let's say that the market the market meaning the body of all investors in the world right let's say they value their company at a billion dollars and they have released 100 million shares right so think about it that means every share so a share is a portion of that ownership by the way i probably should elaborate on that then their total volume of shares is 100 million they have 100 million shares outstanding million shares out into the world that you could purchase that means so they may keep 51 million so they have 51 percent ownership in the company and these are all very made-up numbers off the top of my head these could be very different for every situation they may keep 51 million of those 100 million shares they initially offer um and what that does is that allows them to still have majority ownership in the company and more on that later but those 49 million there's remaining 49 million are going to be worth ten dollars because there's a hundred million shares outstanding and the market and the market values the company at one billion dollars so each of those shares with them being an equal portion of the ownership of the company we worth ten dollars right so that's where your share gets your value from the way that share will go from $10 to $20 is say company XYZ that we're talking about right now post very good earnings meaning they public because when a company goes public like this they are required to post their quarterly earnings and they have a bunch of other things they basically have to make a lot of their business known to the public and before they wouldn't have to that's one of the advantages of not going public and not raising that capital is you kind of can keep to yourself and keep your secrets in and how much money you make but now you have to tell the world how much money you make because your investors deserve to know that and they're partial owners in the company so that's kind of their right so how the share can go from ten dollars a share to twenty dollars a share 
they may post really good earnings. They may, you know, they have shown they have a successful business model. And the reason people buy shares of a company is because they have the anticipation of future growth. So they, their initial investors who bought the other 49 million shares, they believe that your company is worth more than a billion dollars because if they didn't, they wouldn't be investing in it. So as more people buy, more people buy, more people buy, that's how the valuation of the company goes up and up and up and up and up. It's supply and demand, right? There's no one guru sitting on Wall Street who just says, this company is worth this much money and I state this as a truth. Not the case. If there was, that'd be a very powerful man. What happens is the collective whole of the market and all the investors in the world either buy more or sell more of a stock, and that's what drives the price up and down. Generally speaking, I'm oversimplifying it, but for the sake of understanding this on a surface level, that's more what drives the price on its fundamental level. So when you understand this, you can you can follow trends. You can see prices moving up and down, and you can look at the volume and the volume sold, volume bought. Um, obviously, if there's more people trying to buy than there are people trying to sell, that's going to drive that price up. If there's more people trying to sell and people are trying to buy, it's going to drive the price down. So what this means is as the value of the company fluctuates up and down, the value of the individual stocks that are portions of the company will fluctuate up and down with them. And so now you understand like why a company who's worth $10 can go and be worth $1,000 or $10 a share can be worth $1,000 a share in 30 years. And so imagine that you invested you know, $1,000 into a $10 a share company and those same $10 a shares are now worth $1,000. You've done pretty well for yourself. You've done very, very well for yourself. These are not realistic numbers, especially in a relatively short term of a few years. Not at all realistic numbers. But it's possible, and that's the, that's some of the attraction to people. Um, so kind of my philosophy when I look for something to invest in, well, my number one rule that I stole from someone who I look up to, Steve. Steve, if you ever listen to this, shout out to Steve. Steve's awesome. Steve's number one rule, who has now become... Nathan's number one rule is never, ever, 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 ever invest in something that you don't understand. What does that mean? What it means is if you're going to buy shares of, we'll just say, let me scroll through my watch list. We'll find something that's pretty fun to look at. We'll say we'll choose Chewy. Their stock symbol is CHWY if you care to look at this. If it's relatively soon to my time recording this, this will be pretty accurate information for you. What is Chewy? All right, you may have seen the commercials for the um, the dog. It's it's essentially a delivery service for dog food and dog. I think they do dog toys as well. Obviously, I'm not invested in them because I don't understand fully what they do. But before I would invest in Chewy, first and foremost, I need to understand what their business model is. How do they make money? You know, what types of goods and services do they offer? It looks like for Chewy, I mean, I've, I've looked into Chewy before. They were bought out by PetSmart a while back and then went public. So they had their IPO. That's what I mean. And they do delivery services for dog foods. And I'm not sure if they do, like, toys and treats. 
but you need to understand that. But additionally, you kind of need to go beyond the surface level and you need to think, okay, well, what sorts of routes did they use to distribute their food and toys to people? Do they just use, like, the U.S. Postal Service? Do they have their own shipping like Amazon does? How do they get it to their customer? Additionally, you need to understand where the supply chain comes from, who supplies them with the goods that they need to produce their goods. You know, who who is in charge of their company? Who's their owner? What have their owner done? What have their owners done in the past? What has their board of executives done in the past? And you kind of take all these things to account to understand what could potentially be a factor in driving the price up or down in the future. And you need these things to point in the right direction. And you kind of Sometimes you just need to use your common sense and your intuitiveness. Like with Chewy, the reason Chewy is interesting to me is because, look, people love their pets. And people are willing to spend far more on their pets than they have their kids sometimes. Like, I, I know people that go and buy a pet for their dog or their cat every week they go to the grocery store. They won't buy their kids toys every week when they go to the grocery store. So people are willing to spend money on their pets, and people are looking for, especially nowadays, they're looking for convenience and their ability to purchase stuff, especially, like, they don't want to go to the store and buy a 50-pound bag of dog food if they can just stay in the house and away from the COVID cooties. So that's why Chewy's interesting to me, because they have an interesting business model, and obviously before I were to invest money into them, I would need to understand deeper what where their supply chain is, who runs their company, how they distribute, things like that. And so that's kind of the service level. You need to first, you need to understand this. You need to understand how they run the company. You have to understand, you have to understand everything before you invest in it. Or number one, never, ever, 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 ever buy something that you don't understand. Like, why would you anyways? Just just don't. It, it'll, it'll bite you so many times. It takes not too long to just do your research and understand what a company does to make its money. So now you understand a company. You understand whatever you're investing in. So the second step I usually take is it's a concept known as value. Is this a, for context, these are for more long-term investments, things that I plan on holding for several years or several decades. This is a concept, it's known as value investing, and it wasn't invented by Warren Buffett, but it was highly popularized by him. If you don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's a very, very successful um, investor. And um, a lot of people in the stock market, or people who invest, look up to him to see what kind of decisions he's making, because more times than not, obviously he's gone from you know, basically my level of wealth to being a multi-multi-multi-multi-billionaire. He, he knows what he's doing. He definitely knows what he's doing. A lot of people look to him whenever he makes decisions and kind of follow his decisions because you're 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 gonna be okay if you do that because he's gonna be okay. It's this concept known as value investing, and what value investing is at its simplest level, and it's only it's how deep I'm gonna go into it is you look at a company and you understand through understanding like what they do and looking at some fundamental. Um, benchmarks that will be set on the stock. I'll kind of go into those. You believe that the price of the stock currently is less than what you think the stock, the company's actually worth. And it's a really simple concept, but it can get pretty complex when you, you know, kind of get deep into the weeds of it. So we'll say 
I think Buffett was really big on Coca-Cola, not as much anymore, but we'll say he thinks, and these are numbers, I'm not looking at Coca-Cola stock tag right now, but we'll say he thinks Coca-Cola is worth $200 a share, but Coca-Cola is only trading for 150 right now, and how you get those more, those values is, again, we'll go through that. He only thinks it's worth 150 right now, and so... I mean, if you are successful with this usually and you kind of get a good handle on how this works, you're essentially, you're not, well, you're not guaranteeing, but you feel very confident that you are going to profit $50 a share. This is not something that's going to happen in a week or a month and probably not a year. But a profit's a profit and profit's not a loss. So really, you, you don't really lose much there. So he feels it may be worth $200, and it's currently valued at $150, so that'd be something you want to invest in. So a lot of people like to buy things that are like really close to their, their all-time high or 52-week high, because like, oh, they have positive momentum, and they're, they're going up, and they're going to keep that upward momentum. Sometimes, but more, I feel like more often than not, you're going to get bit, because things will correct themselves, they'll have corrections, they'll come back to a more reasonable level with all things, you know. Um, things want to return to a more stable state, and whenever something's breaking out and going exponential, it happens, like Tesla did recently, and Tesla doubled in price over the course of like a week, it was insane. But more often than not, if you buy at that tip of that 52-week high, you're going to get burned. So it's finding these things that are usually I like to do I like to long term invest in big companies because you know they're not going anywhere. You know some of my long term investments are Apple, Microsoft, 3M, Kellogg. There are big companies or fairly large company. I mean I think Kellogg 67 billion dollars, but either way I mean that's a big company. Not big compared to things like Apple and Microsoft like I have invested in, but they're big companies. They're not going to go anywhere very fast. So if something were to go south and the company for some reason would have to end up dissolving itself, you would kind of see the writing on the wall well before it actually occurred. But you find these companies that, like I said, I prefer bigger companies, and you find them that you believe is valued lower than what they're worth. And those are the things I like to invest in long term. Another thing that is highly preferred but not required is the dividend or the percent yield. Some places will have it written. What the dividend is, is essentially the company will pay you an amount based on that percentage. It usually is a set amount. Some I think some will do percentages, but it's usually a set amount. You'll, have a, you'll see it written as a percentage, but it's a set amount of money per quarter, per year, per six months, whatever just for holding on to the stock. And I think, well, I don't think, it's a very good thing to do, especially if you're going to hold on to it for 30, 40 years. I mean, so imagine this. Imagine, so Annalee Capital is a company that I'm invested in, and I I love them because it's, it's like free money. It's like printing money. I don't even understand it, like how this works, but it works. Um, Steve has tried to explain to me, but Annalee Capital is a real estate investment corporation and for some reason, in the laws surrounding real estate investing corporations, they have to pay, I believe, 90% of their net revenue in dividends. And so they are currently trading for, I think, $7.5, but they pay roughly a dollar a year in dividends. 
for some context, I have shares of Apple. Apple's trading for four fifty a share. I think their dividend's three dollars. Nuts. Absolute insanity. So let's we'll say a dollar a year. It's a little less, but we'll say a dollar a year to be, you know, nice and around. Let's say this is not my numbers, by the way. Let's say you have a thousand shares of Angley Capital. You're gonna get paid roughly a thousand dollars a year just for holding on to them. And you still own the stock. So if the stock goes from seven dollars to fourteen dollars, not only have you doubled your money, but you've made a thousand dollars a year while you're holding on to it. So for long term investments, I highly recommend that you consider the dividend. It's not a requirement. I mean, you can still make money on non-dividend paying stocks, obviously, because the price can go up. But imagine that you bought, you know, let's say, we'll say your retirement's built on, and you have a hundred thousand of this, hundred thousand of that, hundred thousand of that, and you're making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year eventually, just off dividends, and you can live off that. You don't even have to sell your stock. Your money is making you money while you sleep. You really, I mean. You need to understand that the company needs to be stable and they need to be able to maintain paying you that dividend because companies can and will either reduce the amount of dividend they pay or cut it completely. But you can look at the history of the company and kind of determine that because like the reason I love Annually Capital so much is they paid a, they have paid a dividend every quarter, every three months for the past, I believe it's 30 to 35 years. I feel real confident that they can continue to do that. And even if they cut it a little bit, it's still a ridiculous percentage of the amount of money you invest and the amount of money you get returned to you every year. And I personally, at this point in my life, I don't need that money to live off of just because I have a job and like my expenses are that high, let's be honest. like I'm in college. I have it set to um, auto-reinvest. So every time I get paid a dividend by a company, it automatically buys as many shares as possible with that money. So let's say... Again, not my numbers. Well, rhetorical example, you have a thousand shares of Annually Capital and they're gonna pay you a thousand dollars a year. And that might buy you I mean, I don't even know what that number would be, probably hundred and twenty ish, hundred and thirty ish shares. So now and this is compounded quarterly, but we're gonna say compounded annually for some nice simple round numbers that I can do in my head and I'll probably still mess up. By the next year, you have 1,130 shares, and those 1,130 shares might buy you another, I don't know, 140. So now you have, you know, 1,270, and then those 1,270 might buy you 150, and and you see how this snowballs. So eventually, you could have bought a thousand shares, and you might end up with, if you do this for several years without actually pulling the money out, those thousand shares may end up being 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 shares, no matter how long you wait. It's free money. I mean, you've you've more you've multiplied your initial investment five times over. Name something else that you can do that legally with that much safety. Because I can't, I can't. Obviously, if I could, I'd be investing in something else. And Annually Capital is just an example I'm giving, just because they pay such a nice round number that I can easily do the mental math in my head. But other stocks are the same. They won't multiply as fast as Annually Capital will. You know, Kellogg pays a great dividend that I invest in. 3M is a good company that I that pays a great dividend. These are all things that you take into account. So you need to understand a company inside and out what you're investing in. And you need to find it for a good value. I guess rule 2B after the finding good value investing is understanding, or not understanding, but looking at the dividend they pay and hopefully they pay a good dividend and they have consistency paying that dividend because then 
especially for long-term investments, if you're going to sit there and hold it for 10 years, you get paid to do it. I mean, they're giving you essentially free money. Can't really argue with that. So what are some things that kind of help you determine if a company is worth more than what they're currently valued at? Look at like price to earning. Price to earning is it's something you, you can be careful with because it, it can mislead you at times. Price to earning, the formula is the current price of the share divided by the, num the current earnings per share. Generally, you're going to see a price to earnings somewhere around the 10 to 20 range most of the time. Any lower than that, I probably wouldn't buy it. But when you see things that are 30 and above, what that essentially means is that the current price of the stock is overweight. This isn't always a bad thing. People invest in a company because they anticipate future returns, right? So if the price to earnings is currently overweight, that means they anticipate those earnings to grow with that price that they've already baked into it, which could also lead to future gains, especially if the PE rate and the PE's price to earnings ratio, especially the PE ratio stays the same. So I'm looking at Apple currently. Apple's PE ratio is 33.7. If that were to stay the same and their earnings were to grow, like I'm sure they will if I'm invested in them, if their earnings were to grow, especially you know, if in, over the next three, four years, they double their earnings and their PE ratio pretty holds pretty constant, you know, you're expecting the price of the company to grow two to three times over, which would be nuts because they'd be a six trillion dollar company at that point. But yeah, you you would expect that to grow, so you can kind of look at that, and that won't necessarily help you find undervalued stocks, a lower PE. So you can find a PE around like the twelve area will help you find the undervalued stuff. But when you find things that are PE over PE ratio over 30, what you get into there is that obviously a lot of people have a lot of anticipation for that future growth of that company. Now you can get bit with this. I mean, that, that price might actually be overinflated and you may you know buy whatever amount that you can invest into it and you may get bit and it hurts you long term. But it could mean that the company actually is worth more or will earn more in the future and that P.E. ratio may stay constant and the price will grow with it. It's a risk you're taking. Earnings per share, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Earnings per share is an interesting one because, I mean, it's what it sounds like. It's the amount of money a company makes per share. I'm not sure what the exact formula is. I don't think, I don't know, it might be dollars per share. It might be something I, I probably should know that if I'm going to talk about it in it, but I don't, sorry. I don't know what the exact formula is. It's generally, it can be negative, which is bad because the company is losing money. Or it can be positive, which is sometimes good. The higher the number, the better. Well, usually the higher the number, the better. What that means is the company is making a lot of money. They're making a lot of revenue. And if they have good leadership and if the company is run well, I know I just said the same thing twice in two different ways, but get over it. The people who run that company are going to take that money and either reinvest it into the company to help it grow, which is what you want in long-term investments, or they can raise the dividend and pay their investors more. Either way, you, you're probably going to win. I mean, if you have some nutcase running the company, though, he might squander the money all the way in some terrible investments, but generally a higher earnings per share is better. So when you look at companies and you see they have an EPS earnings per share and it's 30, 40, 50, which is nuts, 
that that should be a, a flag not necessarily a red flag but a flag that they may have some growth especially when it gets higher like that they may have some future growth and to kind of tie this all back together since you understand now first and foremost you understood what a company does you can kind of understand why they may go through some phases in the market right because you may so say you're invested will go down to Ford and Ford has the Bronco coming out uh, somewhere sometime soon I don't know what the exact release date is but it has the Bronco coming out if you expect the Bronco to do very very well which I mean I have no opinion maybe it will maybe it won't if you expect the Bronco to do very very well and that's your belief then you wanted to invest in Ford right now because obviously their earnings are going to be reflecting that the Bronco did very well. If you believe it will, and if it does, the earnings will reflect that, and that will cause the price to go up. Additionally, if you expect the Bronco to flop fat on its fit, flat, 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 flat on its face, you probably don't want to invest in Ford because then the price will tank. But when the price tanks, you may want to buy there because then maybe you think the market overreacted to the flop of the Bronco and oh well, the F one fifty is still the best selling truck on the planet. Blah 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 blah. And so when so the price is right now is six eighty six a share. Say let's say the Bronco flops, which I have no opinion on this. But let's say the Bronco flops and the price goes down to five and a half dollars a share, and you think Ford is actually worth six and a half dollars a share, you would buy at five and a half dollars a share, however much you feel necessary you could invest, and you'd wait for it to hit six and a half dollars a share, and you sell. And so that brings me into a new point. Um, We've kind of, I've kind of covered like long-term investments and what I look at there, but you also need to understand when to get out of an investment. And this is something that's bitten me, and I've lost way too much money doing this. Is So I'll give one example that was kind of my lesson, my baptization, baptism, baptism by fire, I guess. Um, I bought Boeing at... I believe it was before the plane crashes started obviously I think I bought them for like 200 and they went up to 440 a share and honestly like I should have just sold right there I should have sold right there right then because they were overvalued in my opinion when they become overvalued go ahead and sell because when they become overvalued the market will correct so say they were worth 440 and they were truly only worth 350 the intrinsic value that's um, bear with me with the, the term. The intrinsic value of the company is three fifty, but the extrinsic plus the intrinsic was four forty. So we'll say, you know, this trading for four forty, more three fifty, sell sell at four forty. That's fine. The market's gonna correct at some point if you're right. Not always right. If you're right, it'll correct down to three fifty or below, and you can buy back there if you really like the company enough, or you can just take your profits and walk away and put that money somewhere else. You need to understand when to get out because it went from 200 to 440, and then they kept crashing planes more than once. And then they admitted that they knew about the design flaw in crashing the planes and all this. And then the share went from 440 down to 160, so I turned what was a $240 profit per share into a $40 loss per share. So people, get out while you're ahead, sell while you're ahead, 
So when you think things are overpriced, I understand you can't anticipate planes falling out of the sky, but you can anticipate things being overpriced. And things were overpriced in Boeing, and I think that is part of what caused that elastic effect of them snapping all the way down to, I believe it was 160 at the time. So talking about loss, this is that was more of a loss of profit. Now, it ended up becoming a loss of initial investment too, which you, loss of profit, it's initially what you're really trying to avoid by selling at overvalued points. To avoid loss of investment, I kind of have the rule of thumb, and I've told my roommates this every time they've talked about it. Never, ever invest anything that you're not willing to lose. I think this is another rule from Steve, actually. But it's it holds true. I mean, if you can't afford to lose $2,000, if you need those $2,000 to live, you don't need to invest those $2,000 in shares of Microsoft or whoever. Because at some point, if you need those $2,000, you're going to have to share your shares of Microsoft or whatever company. And what if that company's gone down? So, Or you're at a point where you you never ride the dip, never ride the, the price going down and hoping it's going to go back up. Just sell off, buy back later. But say you, you're the person who wants to ride the dip and it's at its lowest point it's been all year. And your car breaks down. And you have to replace the compressor. And it's $2,000. You know, it'd be nice to have those two thousand dollars you initially invested in company XYZ, but now since it dipped, it's only worth a thousand dollars. So now you have a thousand dollars you gotta come up with. I always say, you know, people always say that you should have three months or a year somewhere in there of money in your savings account that you could live off of. And if COVID's taught anybody anything, it's that this is absolutely necessary. So before you start investing in anything. My rule of thumb is six months. Have six months of income saved up in your savings account. I know I, te- I bashed savings account before, but they're very liquid, meaning you could get that money and use it very quickly. Have about six months, at least three, at least three months sitting in your savings account because you just don't know what's going to happen. Beyond that, never invest more than you're willing to lose, more than you're willing to not have. Even if you don't anticipate to lose it, obviously, because you never go into a trade trying to lose money unless you're a psychopath. If you take whatever amount of dollars and put it into a long-term investment, you want to leave it there. You can't use that to go buy the new PlayStation or the new Xbox. You need to leave that there, and that money stays there until it's time to pull it out. And time to pull it out is not in a few months or a year. You leave it in there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years for long-term investments like this, and it stays there, and you'll be rewarded in the future by not touching those $1,000 because now your $1,000 is $10,000, right? hope that makes sense. You need to accept that you are essentially losing, quote, quote, or spending this money, and you're not going to get it back for a long time on long-term investments. When I talk about like day trading and swing trading, these are all things that I, I enjoy doing and I do. But I don't want to talk about them on the podcast, especially at like such a surface level thing, because it's there's something you shouldn't do until you feel very comfortable with how the market works and how stock prices move. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to really say on this. I don't know how I sat here and talked to myself for 40 minutes, but I've done it. Bless. Um, if you have any sort of questions about this or how I talked about international people listen to this if you're an international person and you have questions about how this works because i'm not sure if your country may be different we can look into it together but if you're someone who has any questions about how this works hit me up i'd be happy to talk to you about it 
I'm obviously, I'm not an expert. I'm just some dude who has fun investing money in the stock market on the side. But it's, it's, it's cool. I don't know. I really enjoy it. But yeah, if you have any questions or anything, please hit me up. And we're going to take a short break and then talk about some discography breakdowns, you know? So a break has been taken, uh, a 12-plus hour break. If you hear now my sweet morning voice that I had that was awful, let's be honest, it's gone now. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to hear to break down the discography of my boy Logic. So my history with Logic goes way, way back. The first Logic song I heard, it's funny, was Let Me Go off of his original Young Sinatra mixtape. I don't even remember exactly where I found that. I think it may have been someone posted it on Snapchat or social media. I forget. This was like, I don't know, ninth grade. It was not long after that song had come out. And I I listened to that one song. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And for context, at the time, I didn't really listen to hip-hop or rap. Like, I grew up on the Beatles and Zeppelin and a little Metallica, ACDC. And that was pretty much all my family listened to and this was before like time of Apple music or spotify where you could just download whatever whenever it came out you actually had to i mean let's be honest we all just stole music off the internet or youtube nobody paid the dollar per song that it was on itunes at least i didn't know of any ways other than that to get music as easily accessible as it is right now and i was like i don't know 14 so i couldn't um i didn't have a job or anything to pay for music so it was interesting because at the time, Logic was releasing mixtapes and they were free. Um, oh man, I can't even remember off the top of my head what the site was that you would get these from. But anyways, I would I um, after I heard his first song, I found it on YouTube. He had a bunch of random singles on YouTube that didn't end up making it into mixtapes that I won't really deep dive into. But I listened to that first Young Sinatra project, the entire thing, start to finish. And it was the first time in my life where I sat there and listened to a project start to finish. And um, what mixtapes are is essentially a rapper will take a, I wouldn't say, well, he won't steal. He's, He's kind of manipulating old beats that other people have used from their influences and putting his own sound on top of it. So he would... He introduced me to, you know, Wu-Tang and Kanye and Tribe. And, I mean, I don't even want to go into, like, how many Outkast, man, Erica Badu, he's introduced me to. I mean, there's so many people who he introduced me to just through the music he sampled on his early mixtapes and then later in his albums when he could afford it. But, you know, it was the first time I was ever really listening to hip-hop, and it was I'm lucky that that was the case. I, you know, obviously, I'd heard it before, but it was the first time I had ever listened to it on a regular basis. And I'm lucky that the first person I listened to was him, because he is, in my opinion, the easiest person to understand when they rap. You know, the punchlines make sense, and he enunciates his words very clearly. I think he's, he'll tell you he takes a lot of pride in making sure he enunciates clearly, and people can tell what he's saying. He's definitely far from a mumble rapper far far from a mumble rapper but yeah so I, I listened to young sinatra and then i ended up going back and listening to um logic the mixtape and he wasn't even known as logic at this point he was known as psychological iconic songs and i mean i mean just name rap man 
hilarious street dreams which eventually got remade on youngson after four logic on the the dream though dude those songs iconic young sinatra was amazing i mean just songs like okay juice was up there as i am just another day mind of logic begging Thirty Thousand, like all i do which is i think his first big i want to say big his first hit that really blew up on the internet um i know a lot of people found him through trick shotting videos of like call of duty on the internet that wasn't me i I think I'm one of the few people who didn't find him in his early days through that. Then comes Young Sinatra. Oh, wait. Oh, gosh. What order did we go in here? Hold on. Let me look up the chronological order of these real quick. All right, so I just took a second to go back and look up, like, the actual release dates and release times. Um, Young Sinatra released a lot earlier than I thought. It was 2011. So I would have been in 17, 16, 15, 14. I mean... So I must have not found this as early as I thought I did. Probably I probably found it in seventh grade ish, maybe sixth grade. But Young Broken Infamous had come out the year before. Another, I mean, I'm just gonna go and put it out there. I love almost every project he's come out with. I have my favorites, obviously, but yeah, Young Sinatra came out. Then Undeniable, Young Sinatra Undeniable came out. Young Sinatra Undeniable, also love that project. I mean. I just kind of want to lump all these early mixtapes together because I loved all of them. They're all, I mean, sonically, they're all roughly the same thing. I don't think there was a, there's obviously you can see progression from one to the next, but there's no huge leaps because I don't think he really had the funding to increase his, you know, production value. But some favorites off of Undeniable, let's see, Dead Presidents 3, Used to Hate It, Tic-Tac-Toe, great song. Dear God, another one of those deep songs, kind of like Let Me Go was. It really gives you some insight into his childhood, which once we get to his first album, it's that's what it's all about. Numbers was, I think, probably the biggest song off of that project. Then we get to my personal favorite of the mixtapes, and that's Young Sinatra, Welcome to Forever. And um, as I'm looking at these track lists now, the very first song, Welcome to Forever, featuring John Bellion, was how I found John Bellion. And John Bellion is one of my favorite artists ever as well. And that was how I found him. And it's crazy to think that this one artist logic that I'm talking about here is like he's introduced me to all of my favorite, other favorite artists as well. And maybe that's why logic is so, you know, like, has a deep place in my heart because he is the combination. All of his influences, inf- like, has created him to be who he is as an artist. But yeah, Welcome to Forever, 9 to 5, Roll Call, 5 a.m. Like, these are. I mean, Welcome to Forever might be a no-skip project all the way through, except for the Marty Randolph skits. So now we've gone through all of his early mixtapes, and it's just pure, there's not much of him produced, well, I don't want to say that's not fair. A lot of what he produced during that time was samples, and he's flipped the samples into his own original beat, which is very clever and very good. But not until you get into really his second and beyond studio albums do you get into like the beautiful, grandiose production that is some of them. Before this, he's just sampling his influences and he's kind of, you can kind of stale by the stylistics that he's rapping with and the references he makes. He's really strongly influenced by like J. Cole, Kanye, Wu-Tang, Outkast, Tribe, like all these people where he's you can tell with just subtle lines and the way his samples he chooses. Obviously, oh, and Nas. I can't, how do I forget Nas? Also introduced me to Nas. 
you could tell the influence that's there. But then, at this point, he had signed with Def Jam, which is a major record, com- record company, and he released Under Pressure. And, oh man, Under Pressure is like, it's just one of my favorite albums ever, 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 ever. It's just, so what Under Pressure is about is, I guess, the pressure he was under, not to mean playing on words, but the pressure he was under growing up when he was in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and having to deal with, you know, drama in the household and abuse and drug violence and him being around, like, drugs and guns and shootings and how he grew up and what he saw and how he made it out. And then once he made it out, how these people reacted to it and tried to pull him back in, like... When you listen to the extended version of um, Under Pressure, at the very end, it's all these voicemails that's like he's rapping like he's the voicemail of, he's replying to the voicemail from his dad and his couple sisters, I think it was. You know, some of the iconic songs that came up there, gang-related, the fourth song on the album, you have the just machine gun finish of the that, that album, I'm sorry, that song that became iconic at his concerts where he would pull fans up on stage and try to see if the fan could match him, you know, line for line, see how fast the fan could go. And then the extended version added, like, Driving Miss Daisy, Now, and All Right, which are, in my opinion, not the worst three songs, but my least favorite three songs of the project. The original um, 12 song, 12 track song track list that came on the project was just, I mean, it's as close to a masterpiece as you can get for your debut album where he really didn't have the funding to do what he wanted to do. Like, there's the the funny story of he, the song Soul Food, which was the second song, he couldn't get the sample cleared. So he ended up basically reproducing the sample itself, his own, through production. And whenever we get to his final album, Soul Food 2 was on that, and he had enough money at this point to pay the original owner of the sample to use it finally as, like, a last jab like yeah i finally did i made it i used this sample finally love under pressure moving on to his second album and this is whenever he kind of evolves away from at this point he's made it in life like he he's not he's not poor he's not around this drug violence anymore he's finally i guess moved i guess la at this point and he's had time to really sit down and be creative and not rap for his life. Like you can tell in his first five or so projects, whatever I've listed off before this, he's rapping for his life. Like he knows like this is all I have. I'm either gonna rap or die trying kind of thing. Now he gets to be creative and the incredible true story is one of the most creative projects ever, aside from hip hop, in my opinion, is one of the most creative projects ever. Um, it's a rap album that depicts the story of two men and an AI guiding a ship that is the last of humanity after Earth has collapsed and they are going to find the planet Paradise. And the songs kind of follow that theme in a way and there's there's scenes and interludes in between. But sonically, just the, the production value of this album is incredible. You know, I think about songs like Intermission just the song you can just listen to it. you don't even have to listen to the words he's saying which i mean the words he's saying are incredible throughout this entire project but the words i'm sorry the sound that just comes out of the speakers or comes out of your headphones it's just soothing with like intermission and then you get to things like city of stars and city of stars is just like this grandiose kind of like 
organ opera in the background is just ugh. obviously as you can tell I, I love this project uh, stainless picks up the thing picks up the speed a little bit my personal favorite on this whole project and I think it's a little bit um, a kind of an unpopular opinion of being your personal favorite on this project is paradise it is just it's it's beautiful and the the words along with how great it is sonically just oh, it's perfect it just packages together and it's it's great but it's really interesting how he can have not only what I think at the time was his best body of work musically but artistically he also comes out with this you know concept album of telling a story of two men traveling through space and time together all while they're the whole story is that they're listening to his old albums while they're flying through the spaceship and eventually land on the planet. They're listening to his albums. And this theme, this story of these guys are kind of trickled in all throughout the remainder of his projects up until his retirement. So at this point, I think The Incredible True Story was really the beginning of his mainstream popularity. Um, his next album really is what skyrockets him into fame, but we'll get onto that in a second. After The Incredible True Story came out, we got the first installment of Bobby Tarantino. Um, people who listen to Logic or just listen to his interviews or whatever knows he's a massive fan of Quentin Tarantino movies, so that's the whole play on words is he's Bobby Tarantino. And it's kind of a return to his previous mixtape days where it's just this turn-up music where he's just line after line, bar after bar, giving it everything he has, just rapping for the fun of it, obviously. Um... And even some of the songs have meaning to it. Like, my personal favorite on Bobby Tarantino 1 was Deeper Than Money. Just, I mean, the title was, it says enough, doesn't it? But it was a kind of a return. It was like a under pressure meets Young Sinatra mixtape kind of blend feel to me. Then you get into his third album. And this is for, I guess, the major Logic fans or people that are diehard Logic fans. This is the one that feel strikes the most contention and it's kind of stupid to me because it's just like dude if you don't like it don't listen to it you don't have to hate the man because of an album but I'll be honest it wasn't my favorite either but the album had a point and it wasn't to make it your favorite rap album ever it was to you know Logic always preached the message of peace love and positivity and equality for everybody and so on and so forth and that was I mean the album was for everybody it's basically saying we are all the same um this album is also a concept album that follows the story of a man named Adam as he gets in, gets hit by a car and did not spoil the story. It's very philosophical and he realizes that he needs to treat everybody like himself because everybody is himself and that, that'll make sense if you actually listen to the project and listen to the intermissions and such. But, you know, the song, everybody, everybody people, everybody bleed, get it, confess is just talking about just the trials and tribulations of what Logic dealt with, being half black, half white. Killing Spree, again, it's talking about all the different terrorist attacks, all the mass shootings that you see on TV constantly. Um, I'll skip forward some to the big one, the one, the song that blew him up, and that is the 1-800 song with Alicia Cara. The song is about, he is rapping from the standpoint in the first verse of someone who is about to commit suicide and they call the suicide hotline which the song is named after the number is the hotline number right and then in the second verse he's rapping from the standpoint of the hotline operator 
and the third verse he's rapping from the standpoint of the caller again but now he's saying i want to now i want to be alive and it was this really powerful message and sonically it was beautiful alicia carr killed it as she always does another another artist he's introduced me to through his career but then you have the you know the og logic fans talking about oh now we have all these 1-800 fans blah 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 but to me i never understood it because if you were truly a fan of someone for such a long period of time you would want to see them succeed regardless of what other people consider themselves to be fans regardless if those people have listened to those mixtapes a thousand times throughout their life wouldn't you want this person who's put so much of their time and effort into making you feel happy to finally see the success and payoff for what they put into it but that's just me um anxiety i mean the song is what says what it's about it's about anxiety and obviously if you've listened to this podcast before you know you know that's a that's something that's really important to me and that song helps a lot man and then he finishes out with black spider-man kind of referring to donald glover wanted to be spider-man and i think i can't remember exactly this is a while back i think there was some contention with hollywood and they didn't want a black spider-man or what have you africarian another one of my all-time favorite logic songs but I won't get too deep into that. But everybody was really, it was a pivotal moment in his career. It was the moment he went from our little secret logic to being in the mainstream media. And I think, as you'll see in his later projects, he suffered a lot mentally for that because he had the people who considered themselves to be, you know, his diehard fans coming at him and hating him for, you know, just making music just for making pop music because he wanted to get rich and famous and he was just like look i'm trying to be rich and famous and i'll come back and make you this project later which is his final album relax people didn't relax and he he talks about this on no pressure a lot which i'm trying not to get into about his trials and tribulations dealing with the internet now so he's gone from being this kid living in maryland and just living a hard life growing up He's made it, he's found success and happiness, supposedly success and fame and money, but he hasn't found happiness. He thought this was what happiness was, but he hasn't found it, and you can really see that bleed into his future projects. So I'm trying to think of the order, I think it was uh, then Bobby Tarantino 2 came out, which was the sequel of Bobby Tarantino 1, and it's kind of the same vibe as Bobby Tarantino 1, it's just his turn up mixtape. He had another hit with Marshmallow, um, that was uh, Every Day, not my favorite song, but I'm happy for the dude. The dude, I mean, he got another hit. Uh, what's my favorite on this project? Either Boom Trap Protocol or Yuck, probably my favorite on Bobby Tarantino too. Not, I mean, there's really not much to say. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Bobby Tarantino 1. He just has another rendition of it with Bobby Tarantino 2, the sequel. Then comes Young Sinatra 4. Man. Young Sinatra 4 was the final installment of the Young Sinatra mixtapes, except Young Sinatra 4 was an album. There's a difference. I don't have time to explain the difference between mixtapes and albums. I think I might have done that earlier, though, actually. But Young Sinatra 4 was the final installment of the Young Sinatra series, I guess. The first song, Thank You, is just him thanking his fans for all the success and everything that they've done for him. And I think at the end, he even includes voice recordings of all of his fans. What else? One Day became another hit with Ryan Tedder. 
he came out with his own Wu-Tang Forever, and he had every living member of the Wu-Tang Clan on that song, and it is, like, it's not my favorite song ever just because it's, like, super a good song, but it's it's one of my favorites ever just because it's so, you get to see him, you can obviously tell he's living his dream because he's always wanted to do this, and he produced a beat that, as the Wu-Tang clan say themselves is an old school would be and it's just I, I can't help but to be happy for someone who is finally getting to really you know make work with people who inspired them to even be who they are today honestly it's probably my favorite um song on this project street dream 2 i've talked about street dreams one earlier street dreams got a sequel here what else legacy a great song that talks about essentially working your whole life and working and working and working and never taking a chance to enjoy it with the people who are around you and you care about and truly and you just think oh i'm just gonna work and get millions of dollars and give my family money and they'll love me because of it and he as you'll see in the song and as i hope you believe as well it's not the case you need to spend time with people you love but yeah that was the end of young son after four he also had he finally got to do his own version of last call which was uh, heavily inspired by um I think it was Ye and Cole both did a version of this, but I could be wrong. It might have been one or the other. And he's, it's, I mean, if you're not familiar with the concept, I mean, he, they're sitting there just basically talking through what they've been through and how thankful they are for where they are. And he shouts out Mac Miller because I believe Mac Miller had just died recently before this project came out. Then we move to Confessions. Well, so I think Supermarket came out in between here. I'll get to Supermarket in a second. Then we move to Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I'll be honest, this is kind of like, to me, this is like the forgotten album of Logic, and I don't know why. I think it's just because the time that it came out, I was so busy in my life that I didn't have time to sit down and listen to it dozens of times like I did all those other projects. But Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is really when we begin to understand how difficult it is for him to be rich and famous. I know that sounds stupid. But as you, if you listen to it, you'll understand like why he feels that way. And just he he goes on the internet and he'll Google himself and just to see what people say about him. And obviously, if you know anything about how people tear celebrities apart on the internet, he's not happy and he lets it get to him. So he talks about that, and he also has some turn up music in there. He finally does a song with Jeezy. He does a song with Gucci Mane, and of course, it's it's a song with Gucci Mane. It's, it's they're all just nothing but hooks with a beat. Sorry, not sorry. Keanu Reeves blows up, and for some reason people hate... I think people just hate the fact that he had songs that blow up, and they want to have their little secret songs that nobody likes but them, and... I don't know. He got Will Smith to rap on a song with him, which is pretty insane. Uh, he had YB and Corday on a song, and he actually toured with YB and Corday after this. Another person who he didn't introduce me to, but another person that I love that he also collaborates with. Finally gets a song with Eminem. Not the biggest fan of the song, but I can appreciate that, again, getting to finally make a song with one of his idols. And a lot of people really, really enjoyed that song. But yeah, that was um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is interesting. Because for a while there, I was kind of worried about him. I was like, is this guy going to go off the cliff here? Is he, I don't know, is he going to really fall into addiction and substances like his family did before him? I wasn't sure. Um, before we get to his final album, though, I want to talk about Supermarket. Supermarket is unlike anything he ever made before. So he has a book. 
if you don't know this, he has a New York Times bestselling book titled Supermarket, which I haven't read yet, and I really, really should, since now that I'm thinking about it. And essentially, I believe it's about this guy who, um, he falls in love with this girl who's working at a supermarket, and the book's about him trying to chase the girl, if I remember correctly, but I can't remember exactly. But the supermarket soundtrack that he released is the soundtrack to the book, and it's like an indie rock it's like imagine a rapper who just he just he was just got done rapping with Wu Tang on a eight minute long song, and now he's making indie rock for his best selling love novel. It's like, who do you know who can do this? But it, it's it's crazy. And as someone who came from a classic rock upbringing, it was really ref- like, it was incredible really to think that you can be someone who goes from you know one mindset to this and do it well. Like he's no Ed Sheeran or anything. Don't get me wrong. But it's good. It's good music. Pretty Young Girl, Time Machine, Bohemian Trapsody, Baby by the Bridge. Like all, all of this is stuff that you can listen to, and it's stuff that's really easy on the ears. You can play it in the background. You can listen to it actively, and that's what really defines good music to me. It's like you can. It fits so many different scenarios. To me, good music is a song that can really fit any scenario, or it is so good at one specific scenario that it is one of your go-tos anytime you feel a certain way this is the song you have to listen to first whether it be happiness sadness depression you just had a great day you just had a bad day your girlfriend broke up with you you got a new girlfriend whatever there's songs for every situation and if you go back and listen to what i just said and think about it every single thing i just said you probably can name a song that you love that accurately describes the emotions you feel in that situation and to me like I said, the characteristics of a great song are something that you can listen to either all the time, no matter what happens, or it's the best song that you have under a very specific circumstance. So we've covered his entire discography, minus his final album, which just came out a few weeks ago. And it is the just culmination of all of this work he's put into his music. It is sonically his best work. In my opinion, it took me a while to come to this, but it's, it's sonically it's better than The Incredible True Story. And that's not a knock on The Incredible True Story. You, you heard how I felt about that before. This is sonically just a gorgeous, gorgeous project. And if you liked his old stuff where he was just bar after bar after bar, clever punchline after clever punchline, you know, he has all the references to his inspirations. He has all the references to his former projects and the nods to the people who got him where he was and the nods to the lines and the fans it's just it is the ultimate culmination of a career i mean i this is one this is an album where there genuinely is no skips no skips i mean sorry i mean from the intro to i mean every single song is just fantastic and it's there's something for every mood on this album and there's nods to all of his great hits previously even so perfect is probably my least favorite song up there just because it's so like boom bap braggadocious trap music and it's just not my thing but i still can appreciate it because it's kind of a nod to those bobby tarantino projects i don't know i feel like i can't even do it justice by trying to break this whole project down if we're being honest though i think he'll be back after his kid's grown or his second or third kid is grown by grown i mean like you know, six or seven We'll see more of him, and he's streaming on Twitch right now, so it's not like he's you know reclusing from the public or anything, but we'll see more. 
And, um, yeah. Obviously, if you've made it this far, you understand that this person, this this artist meant a lot to me. There was a time in my life where I was sitting on the bus getting bullied all the time, and I would literally just put my headphones in and listen to the Young Sinatra mixtapes every day. Every single day. There's been times where I've had, you know, the worst days of my life, and I would play certain songs that I'd listened to from him before and just cry. I'd never cried to anybody before, any song before other than his songs. It is, it means the perfect person for me to use to intro this segment for the first time. And I hope to do it in the future, of course. I mean, I have plans for other people, and if you have someone you want to hear me do a deep dive on, then please bring it my way. Hopefully I can get better at this too, because I wasn't as prepared as I probably should have been for this. I just, I don't know, I feel like I didn't even need to prepare. It's something that I just, I listened to him so much that I shouldn't have to, right? But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, episode 10 of How Did I Get Here? And I genuinely don't know how I came to the name, How Did I Get Here either, fun fact. But I hope you enjoyed it. If, As always, if you did enjoy it, if you got a little bit of knowledge from the stock market portion or a little bit of knowledge from the logic portion, or you just had a good laugh at me at some point for me stuttering over my words a thousand times, share it with someone. I would really appreciate it, and they would really appreciate it because you were sharing with them the best podcast in the world. Just kidding. I'm not that arrogant. Also, leave us a review. That'd be really great. Give me some feedback, how I can get better. I understand the audio quality is not the best sometimes, but it's just some hardware limitations, and we're working on it in the future okay i have plans don't you worry your little head just kidding i don't even know why i said your little head okay bye